May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength, our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Be seated. Last week we looked at the parable that Jesus gave of the uh, foolish virgins, the foolish bridesmaids that begin uh, chapter 25. And the point of that parable is to prepare to meet Christ. Uh, the, the bridegroom has gone away. The foolish bridesmaids were not prepared to meet Christ. They got sleepy along with the others, but they did not keep the oil of their lamp burning. And then the groom came, and it was a surprise to them. And um, they were not prepared to meet him. So at the wedding feast, they were shut out. And then if you remember last week, the, the, uh, the groom says these chilling words to them. He says, I don't know you. So they couldn't come in because they didn't know the, the groom. And the point that we made last week was one of the things that we need to do to prepare to meet Christ is to, to cultivate a relationship with him. We need to know him and he needs to know us as one of his own. So we're talking about this theme of preparing to meet Christ uh, today. That's why I have that original title, Preparing to Meet Christ Part two, and then next week will be part three, <laughs> preparing to meet Christ, part three. But if we believe what the scripture teaches, that there is coming a day when we'll all stand before Christ, whether at our death or at the end of time, if this is a certain event, which the scripture says it is, which Jesus teaches, then it's in our own best interest to prepare to meet him. So last week, preparing to meet him involves being ready and getting to know him and cultivating that relationship with him. What about our parable this week, the parable of the talents? I want to talk about our responsibility and then our reward and then the warning that's in this parable. And one of the keys to interpreting this parable is to discover what, what is this talent all about. Um, because when we figure out what the talent is as servants of Christ, then we'll understand what our responsibility then is. And it's very easy to get off track here in this parable in all sorts of ways. And I know that because this week as I studied for it, I was really getting off track in all sorts of ways. Uh, and it took getting back into the commentaries and listening to a very good sermon by another Anglican pastor. And I want to give credit to him. Um, William Taylor at uh, All Saints in, uh, in London, or St. Helens of Bishopgate in London. Uh, and I thought, he's got it right, and I've had it wrong this whole week. So um, I want to give credit to him. The, the talent, what does it mean here? Well, it's, it's tricky because our English word for talent comes from this parable. And when you hear the word talent, what do you think? Gifts skills, abilities, are the gifts that God has given us, okay, um, to use to the best of our abilities. Now, if you interpret it this way, it can shade over into a meaning, something like this. God has given us all gifts and talents and abilities. We're to use them for his glory, and that's true. I'm not saying that that's not right, but they can shade. got to live up to master's talents. The master is the one who's given these things out according to their abilities, 
Did you catch that? According to the, so the talent is not their abilities. What he's giving is according to their abilities. And then they're responsible to do with the talent what he's asked him to do. So I don't think it's our natural abilities that is being referred to here. Um, I think it figures into that, but that's not what the talent means. The talent here is a big chunk of money in the literal sense, right? Um, this is something that these servants could never earn on their own because in those days it would take the average worker, listen to this, 20 years just to earn one talent. So somebody has figured out that the, the, the equivalent of a talent today would be something like $600,000. That's a lot of money. If you don't think that's a lot of money, let's talk. And I have some places <laughs> that we could maybe put that money. $600,000. So, so you could read this parable this way. Um, one person received one talent, $600,000. Another person received $1.2 million. Another person received $3 million. Something extremely valuable that they, they don't have in themselves. But he gave them this according to their ability. So what is a talent? Well, then when I started writing the sermon and um, was getting off track, I thought, well, maybe the, the talent is just our life. We're to use our life for God. We know that that's true. And I had some really arresting stories about how life is a gift, and I was going to bring those out, but that, that got um, on the chopping block on the cutting board after I discovered I was on the wrong track. And then I thought maybe it's the gospel. The talent is, is the gospel in the sense that when you hear the gospel, you need to respond to it. Don't bury it. But, but then that doesn't really, I don't think, completely make sense. And, and that's not what the context of Matthew 25 is all about. Um, it's really about the proclamation of the gospel. It's really about the mission of the king. It really is about this, that anybody who claims to be a servant of Christ, Christ calls you and me to be involved in spreading the kingdom, multiplying the wealth, expanding his influence, as we share the gospel, and as we make disciples. It's about getting on mission with Jesus until the very end. And, and this really corresponds and sits well with the context of Matthew 25. We'll look at it more next week, but also the end of Matthew, the Great Commission. This is where we find the Great Commission in Matthew. Go into all the world. What's our job? Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Teach everything that I've commanded to you, to all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit calling them to obedience to everything I've commanded. So the, 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 the talent is the opportunity that God gives us to grow his kingdom. And he's saying here, everybody who's a servant of Christ has these opportunities, and we had better take advantage of them. We better use what he's given us. I think that's what it's meant. By proclaiming the message, by investing in the lives of others, by discipling others, we engage in the mission of Christ. Each disciple has a different level of responsibility according to their ability and according to their opportunities. A father and a mother have a responsibility to expand the kingdom through their influence with their children, to share the message of the gospel with them, and to raise these children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Grandparents have influence over their grandchildren. We, in, in, in our professional life, we have influence with people. We have relationships with people. And we're called to use these for the sake of the kingdom. 
to take opportunities to share the gospel, to, to invite people into a Bible study or to invite them to church where they hear the, the proclamation of the gospel. Sunday school teachers and children workers and small group leaders, we all have opportunities to get on board with this mission, and that's what this parable is about, helping us to realign with that, to focus on this. One of my favorite examples of somebody who really took this seriously is my father-in-law, Bob. And I think I've shared with this with you uh, before, and so this is the second time sharing it. So the third time, somebody let me know and say, no, we've heard it before. But it's, it's worth repeating. But my, my, my father-in-law, Bob, was this blue-collar electrician, union electrician. And after he retired, he said, what, God, can I do to help expand the kingdom? He looked around for opportunities. He started by preaching in the prisons. He was part of a prison ministry, and he, he started there. He was on a, on, a, on a circuit or a rotating schedule of different people who would preach in the prisons. And after a while, he decided that's not really according to my ability. He'll tell you, be the first one to tell you, preaching is not according to my ability. So he, he kept at it. He said, God, what do you have for me? And then he noticed in his neighborhood there was an apartment complex where after school the, the children would gather to play in this common ground, and most of them were Hispanic children. And so Bob, the electrician, gets his family and some friends from church and says, let's go teach these kids some Bible stories. And he gets a soccer ball and a bag of candy and a, and a, and a Spanish phrase book. <laughs> Doesn't speak a lick of Spanish. And he goes out there once a week for many, many months, for a couple of years, and starts engaging with these children. And they start to hear the gospel. And they start coming to the Lord. And other people start getting involved. Spanish speakers from his church start getting involved. And then a doctor and a dentist say, these kids need medical help. And so they start providing a clinic. And then there's other churches that have Hispanic ministry, and that's their focus. And they started to get involved in this. And now this is a full-blown mission. And I don't even think he's involved in it anymore. He got the ball rolling but when he's out about town, sometimes a Hispanic teenager or something will come up and say, Bob, Bob, remember me. It, it, it all started with somebody saying, God, where's the opportunity to grow your kingdom in my daily life? I'm going to look for those opportunities. And, and we all have them. It starts at the home and through the church and then in the broader uh, neighborhood and, and the fields where God has placed us. That's the responsibility that we all have. Well, then, uh, what about the reward? Look at what the master says to, to those who were faithful. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Let me just take the phrase by phrase. This is what a disciple of, of Christ, a servant, wants to hear Christ say to them. Well done. This is what I gave you to work with. This is what happened. Well done, good and faithful servant. Thank you for taking the opportunities I gave. Um, you can almost see these faithful servants taking out the bank statement with all the zeros behind it and saying, look at what I produced for you. Their eyes kind of sparkling. This is what we produced. Well done, good and faithful servant. And that will be part of the reward of heaven to just hear Christ say that over our lives. But then the master says, you've been faithful in a little. I'm going to expand your influence. I will set you over much. 
the greater the responsibility, the, 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 the greater the opportunity. And that's part of the reward, too, for those who've served faithfully. It, it, it may happen in this life. God may expand your influence in this life based on your faithfulness now. But it certainly, and what Jesus is really teaching, it certainly will happen in the next life, in the new heaven and the new earth. If we are faithful now, he's saying then at the end of time, part of the reward will be Christ will say, enter into the kingdom, and boy, do I have a great job for you. Russell Moore, in an article on Christianity Today, writes this about the new heaven and the new earth and the responsibilities and the excitement of that. He says, the moment you burst through the mud above your grave, you will begin an exciting new mission, one you couldn't comprehend if somebody told you. And those things that seem so important now, whether you're attractive or wealthy or famous or cancer-free, those things will be irrelevant in the new heaven and the new earth. What will be relevant is, have I been faithful? Do I know Christ? Do I hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant? I think this is something that we just need to remind ourselves of the rewards of heaven. And, and, then, and the master says, enter into the joy, enter into my joy. Heaven is going to be a world of love and joy and celebration. There are many people today in our culture who just do not have this hope at all. They're disillusioned. And, and, and all they, they have is the hope of this life. I've been reading a novel by uh, Philip Roth. Maybe some of you read Philip Roth. He won the Pulitzer Prize, I think, in the 90s or so, 97. In his novel, American Pastoral, I just started it. Has anybody read this book? Okay. I hope it's redemptive. <laughs> because right now, there's no redemption. It's bleak. It's depressing. And the problem is, is that everybody, all the characters in this story, are obsessed with death. They're, they're, they're held in the grip of the fear of death because their only significance is, is in this life and what other people think about them. There's one character who's just obsessed with his health and, and all these um, medical tests and health regimes he's going through. And when his friend tells him, he says, you're not going to live forever, he says, yes, I am. I am going to live forever. I have to live forever. It's in denial, and so many people are like that. It's a hopeless and meaningless view that this life is all there is. But Christ is saying to his disciples, no, what you do matter, what you do here matters for all of eternity. It has eternal significance and value. This life counts. And I think that this should encourage those of us who are in ministry and who are pursuing the opportunities that Christ gives us and we falter and we stumble and sometimes we get discouraged. Uh, we don't get the recognition maybe from others. We we, we don't see the response that we want to see from others. We, we're trying to build relationships with people outside of the church, outside of the kingdom, and we invite them to different things, and they don't come, and we don't see results, and we teach children the Bible, and they don't seem interested, and, and we give our resources and our money to the advancing the kingdom of God, and we don't see immediate results, and it can all become disillusioning. And part of the point of this parable is Jesus is saying to his disciples, don't give up on this. Stay faithful to the end, and you will hear these words. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in some small things. You can't believe what I've got in store for you now. Enter into the joy of the kingdom. Wow, what a reward there is for those who are faithful.
And then there's this warning at the end. The wicked servant, the one who buries his talent. The master pronounces these dreadful words, cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Weeping, a sign, of course, of of pain, of regret, gnashing of teeth, a, a sign of anger and pain. Terrible place to be spiritually. What's the problem with the servant? Why is he cast out uh, into outer darkness? He's wicked. He's slothful. But really, what's going on underneath of it all? And I think the key is the problem with the wicked servant is found in what he says about the master. His own words are convicting him here. When he says, listen to how he characterizes the master. I knew you to be a hard man. Reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and I hid your talent in the ground. I knew you to be a hard man. Really? This master who has just said to two other servants, I want you to enter into my joy. I I congratulate you. I want you to celebrate. I want to sit down and celebrate. with. He's a hard man. He's a harsh man. I don't think so. And then he's implying that the master is uh, dishonest. You reap where you, you don't scatter seed. Is that accurate? No. The, 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 the master is the one who owns the talent, and he's getting back what's his and more. This is his. He's not taking from anybody else. And so I think the problem with the wicked servant is just simply this. He doesn't really know the master. He's got him all wrong. He despises the master, and that's why he won't work for the master. So he produces nothing. Jesus teaches us in John 15 that if we are connected to him by faith, if we're united to him, if his spirit is living in us, then naturally we're going to produce the fruit of the kingdom. Connected to him, we stay connected to him. He says it's as natural as what? A branch to a vine. It's just going to happen. And and so I don't think the point of this parable, although this is a warning to us, I don't think the point of the, 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 the wicked servant is for those of us who trust in Christ to begin out of fear, frantically working for Christ so we won't be cast out in outer darkness. I don't think that's it. The point is this person doesn't even know the master. He doesn't even know Christ. But as we get to know the master, as we walk closer with him, he will begin to work in us and bear fruit for his kingdom. But it is a warning for those who maybe don't even have a desire to work for Christ. Those who, who their life is about their life. Their life is their agenda and, and Jesus' kingdom and his values is not on the agenda for them. They don't really give a thought to that or to their eternal destiny. And if somebody's like that, where Christ is not really, Christ is at the margins of their life, then this parable should serve as a warning. Do I really know Christ? Am I a servant of Christ? And should cause you to want to turn to him, the one who died for your sins so that you can be forgiven and rose to new life so you can have eternal life and to say to him, okay, I'm going to turn over my life to you. Here's my calendar. Here's my agenda. Here's my plans. Use me for your glory in whatever way you have. 
And if you do that, then you'll be one of those to whom the master says, well done, good and faithful servant. This parable gives us all a chance to just recalibrate and to reorder and to rethink and to think about our opportunities to serve Christ and make sure that we're aligned with his agenda. The chance to to just kind of take the compass. I think we sang a hymn about that, how the word of God is a compass and to set that compass and, and reorder our lives according to the compass of the truth of God's word. So that what we're doing is thinking about expanding, growing, multiplying his kingdom through sharing the gospel in word and deed and by making disciples. This week I officiated uh, at a funeral and whenever you're at a funeral, it does make you think. Only one life will soon be passed Only what is done for Christ will last. That's where the eternal significance is. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And then at this funeral, we always at the graveside pray these words. And it's not for the dead, it's for the living, for us to remind ourselves of this. And I'm going to close with this prayer from the prayer book. Make us, we pray, deeply aware of the shortness and uncertainty of life. Let your Holy Spirit, God, lead us in holiness and righteousness all our days. That when we have served you in our generation, we may be gathered to our ancestors in the confidence of a certain hope through Christ our Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Let's take a moment to reflect here. I just wonder, as um, I preach this, if God was stirring up in your mind and your heart opportunities to invest in the lives of people, to cultivate relationships, to share the gospel, to disciple somebody, to be invested more fully in the work of his kingdom in some way. I just challenge you to pursue that and to continue to pray about that and, and to walk towards that goal because I believe that's, that's the Lord speaking to his people. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would um, guide and direct our steps in our daily life so that we could walk in the plans and purposes you have for us and that we could be faithful to the purposes of your kingdom. You are the king. You are the Lord. You're coming again as judge of the living and the dead. You are our hope. Help us to put our complete trust in you and what you want to do in the days remaining with our life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.